Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, Psalm chapter 42. Let's turn there. Psalm chapter 42. We are starting a new book in the book of Psalms. There's little subdivisions of books here. This is the first psalm in book number two. Psalms 42 to 72 are what make up the second book here. If you look at the superscript underneath the uh, psalm number, uh, it says, to the chief musician, which we've learned before would indicate that this was intended to be sung like we just sang corporately together. And um, then there's a, a word there, a, a maskil, which is the second time I believe we've seen that. And it means that this is for instructive purposes. It's a song, um, like we just sang a song that is really to the Lord as the deer. We're, we're, we were singing to God, but sometimes we sing songs that are... Um, just testimony songs, or they're there to teach us, songs like Victory in Jesus. I mean, yes, you can sing it to the Lord, but we're, we're kind of singing it to the Lord and telling each other uh, this truth. That's what a maskil is. And it says here, for the sons of Korah. Now, um, does this mean the sons of Korah were the human authors? Possible. Uh, who were they? Who were the sons of Korah? They were Levitical musicians and ministers that would serve in the tabernacle and later the temple. But I want you to notice it says for uh, the sons of Korah. So it's possible that they were the human authors of this psalm and some of the others that uh, have that superscript in there. But um, it does say for them. And so in, in book number two of the Psalms, as far as human authors go, we've got some that are written by David. There's one we're going to look at that's written by Solomon, uh, David's son. And um, some that are Without, we don't know who the human author is. There is no superscript. Uh, ultimately, who wrote the Psalms? God, God. So, I mean, the human author is important. And if we can find that in the, the context, it helps us. In the superscript, it helps us maybe um, apply it and understand it better. But it's uh, ultimately God wrote this. I take the position that David did write it. And my, the reason for that is... Um, it says, for the sons of Korah, uh, but also, if we look at the theme of this psalm, there's little clues in it that really, boy, you could sure understand that this was from David's life, uh, especially fleeing, uh, feeling alone, feeling betrayed, uh, probably uh, as a result of um, the, the coup attempt by his son, Absalom, and that's probably about the 20th time we've mentioned that in 42 psalms, but it, when something like that happens in your life, it probably leaves an emotional mark and would inspire you to, to write these, although God inspired him as well. So there's some great lessons in this teaching psalm. Let's read it. Psalm 42, verse 1 says, As the heart, or the deer, panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. 
Why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and from the hill Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water sprouts. All thy ways and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Before we study this, let's pray. Lord, as we look into your word tonight, um, we've got another song here about moving out of fear into places of faith. Uh, We've got another song that uh, tells of your presence and how very important that is from uh, for moving from fear to faith. God, I pray that we would have a sense of your presence um, tonight, not just because we're gathered together here when that happens. I mean, we know you're always present, but when this happens, when we come together as your people, it's amplified. And so, uh, God, I pray that it would be, that we, we would sense the Holy Spirit is here right now tonight. God, I pray that um, as, we, as we study this, your Holy Spirit would illuminate his truth to us, that we would, um, if we find ourselves feeling like David does here, alone, um, drowning, we, we know that your hand is there to, to uphold us, to save us, to deliver us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In verses one to five, we see David's dedication. It's not the normal fear, facts, faith outline. He's, he's really talking about um, a pretty passionate devotion or dedication here. Verse one, a very poetic uh, description of intense desire, isn't it? Like a, a deer needing water badly in a time of drought or um, maybe after it's been on the run uh, for a while, this need, thirsting for water. And I love the exclusivity of this desire, this dedication, this devotion, or what we could call fervor. I'm looking at David's fervor here. It's for God, isn't it? Isn't that what he says? My soul panteth for thee, O God. Not for God's gifts, not for what God could even do, not even for God's word. All right, I mean, it's, it's important. We've been learning that on Sundays. This is important because this is how we know God and can uh, arouse a thirst for God. But ultimately and, and exclusively here, David's desire, his dedication, his fervor, it, it's single focus just for God. He wants God. He wants relationship with God. He wants intimacy with God. He wants a nearness of his presence. The, the very thing that you and I and every other human being lost in sin, way back there in Genesis 3, when we decided to do our own thing. You know, before that, we had an intimacy that one day those who are saved will, will know again. But walking with God in the garden, can you even imagine? Like, not, in, not in faith, not, I mean, in sight. He was really there talking with God. We lost that because of sin. Um, and it's the thing that Jesus won back for us. And we, we've got it in part now. And, we, and we've got the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. When, when you're born again, when you trust Christ as Savior, you've got the Holy Spirit who comes and lives in you. He indwells you. He's there forever. Um, 
And one day we'll have that face-to-face again. But I don't know about you, if, if I'm honest with myself, God's presence, even now with how we can experience it with the Holy Spirit, it's something I don't always fully appreciate or value. I don't know if I have the same fervor that David does here. And I think that's what he's calling us to, uh, by what he's saying here, by what we just sang. Um, we, we sing a song about the Holy Spirit here often, especially on Wednesday night. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Make, it repeats about five times. Make us more aware of your presence, because he's present. Help us to be aware of it. And I really think this is what David's talking about here. Um, Verse 2, David asks when he will again experience this intimacy because he's not really feeling it right now. He desires it, but he just doesn't sense it. And especially as we read through here, we're going to find that he he finds that that closeness, that nearness, that intimacy with God, he finds it uh, most powerfully in corporate worship. That's what he's saying in verses 3 and 4. In verse 2, he says, my soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This is when it kind of takes that turn. To, and so here's our indication that this is probably about that time when, when Absalom, David's son, betrayed him, formed a coup attempt, tried to overthrow the kingdom, and David had to go on the run. Went from the palace, that was right next to the tabernacle, right next to God's presence. Now he's on the run. And that, that while it was symbolic, very powerful symbol for David. And he, you know, he's longing for it here in, in verse 2. He's depressed about it. Verse 3, my tears have been my meat or what I'm eating. <laughs> it's the only thing that's sustaining me is, is sadness and depression, night and day, day and night. And then to make matters even worse, uh, I mean, everything that's going on is terrible. I've been betrayed by um, a family member. I've lost my kingdom. Uh, I'm homeless. I'm jobless. I'm on the run for my life. I mean, I might lose my life here. All these different things. I, I, I don't have that sense of nearness, God, uh, of your presence that I had when I could go into the tabernacle at any point in time because I don't have it. And now to make matters worse, at the end of verse 3, he's got a bunch of people saying to him, continually saying to him, verse 3, Where's your God? Where's your God, David? I mean, uh, it's causing him great distress here. 24-7, he's saying, they, my tears, sorrow. And I've got a bunch of enemies that are saying that my inability to sense your presence, my inability to go and worship you indicates that you have abandoned me. All that's going wrong in my life, all the suffering and affliction that I'm experiencing, I've got people telling me, that's a sign that God's abandoned me. And I want you to try to enter David's context there. Try, try to put yourself in his shoes as the saying is to gain a full understanding of his emotions here. I mean, his life's at stake. He's been betrayed by someone he loved, his own son. He doesn't have a home. Went from palace to homeless. Doesn't have a job. Um, he's got some friends and some family that are with him that ran off with him. But that might be more of a, less of a blessing, more of a curse, because he feels as a leader, as a king, he's got to take care of them in the midst of all this. And, and here's the thing, God's promises, right, they're out there, David knows them, they're out there, he, but, but it's his presence that helps fuel our faith in those promises, in a large way, in a large part. Having a sense of God's presence is sure a catalyst for us being able to have faith in those promises, 
David's got a fervor, though. Look at verse 4 and 5. We see David's focus. It is. It is on being with God and near God. And his focus is especially, again, on corporate worship. He says, when I remember these things, and in the Hebrew, remember literally means focus. When I focus on these things, I pour out my soul. I mean, that's what's going on right now. He's in prayer to God, pouring out his soul to God. What are the these things that he's talking about here? Well, it's going with God's people um, to worship. A multitude, he called them. And when he did that, he was filled with joy and with praise. He was celebrating God's past goodness. They would keep the holy days, one of the feasts that they'd have to go up, you know, and celebrate annually. And uh, he's like, I miss all that really bad. I miss it. It's a beautiful thing to see David's heart align with God's heart, even in this sad, depressing state. Because God wants to be privately worshipped. God wants to be publicly worshipped. And that's what this man after God's own heart is desiring more than anything else. He, want, he wants to worship God publicly more than anything else. That's what he wants to do. That's what he longs to do. And I'm kind of convicted here then also about what David does and doesn't long for in that list in verse 4. What David does and doesn't have a fervor for. He, he's not going to God in prayer and say, God, please save my life. I'm running for my life. He's, he's not going to God and say, God, I'm, I'm homeless. I'd like to get back into the comfy confines of the palace. God, I'm, uh, I'm jobless. When are you, you going to meet my financial needs? God, I've been betrayed. I've been abandoned by people I care for. None of those things are referenced in his prayer here. Um, just God, I thirst for your presence with a fervor and with a single-minded focus. He wants to worship. He wants to experience God. And I want to do it with his people. And I want to do it ASAP, God, please. This is where his prayer is. Jesus, I think, gives us a clue in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 um, why this might be David's single focus and why it should be and why it should be ours as well instead of about all those other things like restoring him to the palace and as king and um, what does it say? Matthew six twenty five to thirty four. We're told there at the end to seek first what the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then what happens when we do that? Then all these things will be added to you. That's, that's how God's design is for this. Um, I think sometimes we reverse Jesus' command and David's example here, like we might. Seek you first all these other things and then hope and pray that God's kingdom is also delivered to us. That's not, let's do it Jesus' way. Let's do it David's way with this fervor he's explained here in verses one through four. In verse five, David ends this section uh, by talking to himself. That's, uh, it's not a crazy thing. We've got an example here. If if anybody's ever said you're crazy because you talk to yourself, David does it right here. And um, it's, it's a, I think it's more important than listening to ourselves. We live in a world where that's highlighted and, and praised even sometimes. It's a lot better to talk to yourself, especially when you're speaking God's word to yourself. Let's look at what David says. Why are you cast down, <laughs> oh my soul? Why are you down in the dumps, David? Why are you low? Why are you disquieted in me? Why is there this roaring in me is what David asks. He's saying, David, get yourself together. How are you going to do that? Right there, verse 5. Hope in God, David. Hope in God. And then he says, For I, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. 
seeing God's face literally is what he's saying. So I'm hungering for your presence. And I, David, hoping God, there's going to come a time when you're going to be able to do that again. You're going to sense his presence. You're going to have the help of God's countenance. Um, that's what he's praying for. That's what he's longing for. And now that prayer and that longing have led him to a place of faith that he's going to experience that. See, when you and I are dedicated to worship and to experiencing God's presence, when, when we're dedicated to what God is dedicated to, um, we can be sure he's going to deliver it to us. Do you understand that that's what God is dedicated to? More than anything else, he wants to be worshiped. <laughs> More than anything else, he wants to be glorified. So when I align what I'm devoted to, what I have a fervor for, what I have a focus for, when that is aligned with what God's all about, guess what I'm going to get? I'm going to get what I long for. You can go back to Psalm 37, right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart when this is your delight. Now, here's David's dilemma, verses 6 through 10. There's a lot of back and forth here. I think the best way to do it is look at the fourth verses when David's moving forward in faith, but there's there, about every other one, is there's a step back. But isn't that how our, our life often is? When we're trying to get out of fear, trying to move to faith, I wish it was this nice, beautiful trajectory that we've seen in the Psalms, but quite often it's not. It's, um, okay, I'm going to make a commitment, and then life happens tomorrow, and I'm back here needing to recommit. And that's what David's going through here. Let's look at verses 6 and 8, and then the very beginning of 9. So steadied by talking to himself there in verse 5, um, steadied by um, not listening to himself, but focusing on the facts from God's word, God's promises. David says here in verse 6, um, you know what? I, yes, I am cast down. Oh my God, my soul is cast down with me. I want to be back in Jerusalem. I want to be worshiping in your house uh, with your people. But that's not going to happen right now. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to worship you where I am. That's, again, why I think this is about David, because we know when he fleed, uh, fleed, when he fled, uh, when he fled, he, he went to this area that it talks about here. I'm going to remember you. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to worship you here in the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and from the hill Mizar, all places in northeast Israel where he fought. That's where I'm going to go. I'm, I, that's where I am. I'm going to worship you here because I can. Yes, I'm emotionally distraught, David says in verse 6, especially about me not sensing your presence. I know it's here. I know you're here. And I'm, I'm distraught about not being able to worship you where I would like to and where I can better sense your presence, but you're still present and you still need to be worshiped. And so I'm going to worship you right here. Is God present there? And the hill Mizar? Yeah, God's present there. He's presence everywhere. Everywhere. Man, and even so much for you and I, so much more than for David. Because we actually have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ living in us, never leaving us, indwelling us. I wish more of the time it was filling me and us. But it's always there. It's, it's indwelling. It's the gift. It's the seal. The minute you trusted Christ as Savior, that moment you were given that. So even for David, we've got this promise more. So is God to be worshiped wherever we are? Yes. And um, look, that does not mean that we can forsake the assembly of ourselves together, we sh especially as the day is approaching. Um, I've had people I've talked to, and they're like, I worship God on the tree stand, I'll worship God on the golf course, and you can, and you should. Um, 
but God's command is to come and worship him here. And that's what we need to do as well. Um, but if circumstances prevent you from doing that, like they did for David, if circumstances prevent what you honestly desire, we've seen David's genuine desire here, well, then you need to worship him anyway, wherever you are, wherever those circumstances put you. Verse 8, here's another step forward. He's going forward in facts. Verse 8, yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. Here David chooses to focus on the facts of God's loving kindness. Couldn't pick anything better. This means God's covenant love. Uh, his, his complete grace that we're undeserving of, but this promised covenant, covenant, like you cannot, fa- this will not fail. It's coming your way. And it says God commands it. Do you know what happens when God commands things? You know what happened when he said, let there be light? There was light. When God commands his loving kindness to go out towards you, it's going out. It's just going to happen. All right, and this has got to be inspiring to David and, and helping him uh, gain a little bit more of an awareness of God's presence. He says, um, you know what? Your loving kindness, you command it. It's not obstructed by betrayal from family. It's not uh, obstructed by abandonment from friends. It's not obstructed uh, your love for me, your grace for me, not obstructed by uh, joblessness or homelessness or pain or, or even location or nothing. Anything, doesn't matter. Your love is there for me, God. You commanded to come my way in the daytime, and because of that, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to worship you here, where I am. There's going to be a song in my heart in the night. There's going to be a prayer, a prayer to my God. That's what he's doing right here. And then verse 9 at the very beginning, David says, I'm, I will say unto God my rock. I'm just going to stop there. I'll say unto God my rock. David's rock, his unmovable source of strength and protection And this is important now because in between these verses and at the end of verse 9 there, like is often our experience, here's the back and forth. So let's look at the back. Verse 7. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me, David says. I feel like I'm sinking, God. I'm drowning. Doesn't seem like you're here. Maybe they are right when they keep asking me, where's your God, David? Maybe they're right. This is what David's expressing here in verse 7. Man, right after verse 6 where he says, I am cast down, but I'm going to worship you here. Now in verse 7, I feel like I'm in a water tornado. I feel like waves are crashing and I'm sinking down and I'm going to drown and I don't sense you, God. There's water spouts in David's life. There's waves in David's life. And he's like, are you here, God? Do you care, God? Waves and water spouts. It reminds me of a song we're going to sing a little bit later. It is well, right? It says, when sorrows like sea billows roll, just keep coming. Just keep coming. I remember when I was at the beach out at Nags Head. They got big waves at Nags Head. Waves can get big down here, but those are big waves. And uh, Krista said, don't go in the water with your sunglasses on. And I turned around, right in the face. There they went. And before I could get them, on the backside. Sea billows were rolling. You ever feel like that happens in your life? They just keep coming. This is what David's experiencing here. They just keep coming. God, I can handle this. God don't want you to handle it. 
You say, I can handle it. Quit sending stuff. He don't want you to handle it. He wants you to give it to him. He wants you to trust in him. But this is what it feels like sometimes. The guy who wrote that song, Horatio Spanford, what did he say after that? When sorrows like sea billows roll. What did he say after he lost his four-year-old son in the great Chicago fire? What did he say after that fire financially ruined him? He's bankrupt. What did he say when they're moving to England? The guy who wrote that song and his four daughters died Ship sank. Only his wife survived. All of that happened. Billows rolling and rolling. And what did he say? When sorrows like sea billows roll, what's my response? Whatever my lot in life, you've taught me to say, it is well. You're in control. You're here. It is well with my soul. I got a feeling, even Mr. Spamford there who wrote that song, I got a feeling he had David moments like David's having, and we have them too. You know, when we're presented with a decision to move forward in faith or take flight from facts and just stay in fear. But I want you to know something about verse 7 in these water spouts and waves. Whose are they? Read verse 7 again. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of your water spouts, God, thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows have gone over me. They're his. He's in control. He's still sovereign. If they're his, he's there. He's present. Even in water spouts and waves. That's why Charles Spurgeon said, I've learned to kiss the wave that slams me against the rock of ages. A rock like verse 9. I'll say unto God, my rock, my source, and my strength. He's in the water spouts and waves, church. They don't mean he's not present. But what we learn from verse 7 is that they have purpose. They're his. What we learn from verse 7 is they have a design and they're in his control. It doesn't mean they're fun. Verse 10, he says, no, they're like a sword in my bones. My enemies reproach me. They're like a puncture wound going straight down deep into my bones. But in them, God says, I'm here. Trust me. Stay close. Worship me anyway. And in those waves, in those water spouts, in that sword, Satan says, he says, "Um, where's your God? And he says, just give up. Withhold praise. Abandon God. He's abandoned you. That's what Satan says. In that very same wave, in that very same water spout, you've got two competing voices. In verse 11 here, let's close by looking at David's display. First of all, David's decide he's going to rely on God's presence. The very thing he had a fervor for, a focus for, he's going to rely on it. Um, We saw that in verses 6 and 7. Don't matter where I am, I'm going to praise you. Um, I'm going to praise you even when I'm experiencing water spouts because I know they're thy. When I'm experiencing waves because I know they're thy waves. And so in this conversation, when the waves are talking, who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to God? Are you going to listen to Satan? Are you going to listen to God who's got an unbroken track record of love and grace and promise keeping? Or are you going to listen to an enemy who wants to leave your physical life in ruins and your eternity damned? David decides, no, I'm going to rely on the fact of God's presence anyway in all of this. And when we do that, then it results in a reflection of God's presence. When we respond like David does here in this psalm, when God wins that back and forth battle, 
and we ultimately decide to recognize his presence and to worship him, whether I'm doing it here in, a, in Dublin First Baptist Church, a nice comfortable sanctuary, or whether I'm out in the boondocks like David is because of circumstances, I'm still going to worship you. Well, it's then that we can echo David's final self-talk here in verse 11. I'm going to read this. It says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Now, King James and New American Standard, they have that verse just like I read it. Some of you might have other um, modern versions, and they don't include that last line of verse 10, or verse um, 5 and 11. So just based on different manuscripts, and we won't get into all of that. Um, but in the King James here, when it is, or New American Standard, if you have that, it says in verse 5, I, they sound like identical verses, and they are up to this point. Why art thou cast, to self-talk again, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieting me? David, get yourself together, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. And then here's where the two differences are. Back in verse 5, he says, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, the help of God's countenance, the help of his presence. Now I'm, I'm more aware of your presence. That is my help. And I'm going to uh, go on in faith. I'm going to move forward in faith. Now verse 11 here at the end, he, same exact phrase except the end. And he says, who is the health of my countenance? See, before it was the help, help of God's countenance. Here, David says, I'm going to praise you for the health of my countenance. So David's countenance has changed. It's healthy. What was it like back in verse 3? I got nothing but tears. <laughs> Despondency and tears. Now they're replaced by vibrancy and a faith-filled joy here in verse 11. That's what David's faith looks like now. That's what David's, actually his face looks like now. All because he saw that God was in water spouts and waves because he recognized God's presence. Now, why is that important that we would reflect God's countenance like David says? Saw your countenance. Now I have a healthy countenance. Because sometimes water spouts and waves aren't even about you. Like what you're going through is really not even about you. Sometimes what God uh, sends you in his waves and his water spouts, um, it's there so that you can leave despondency and tears like verse 3 and move on to a, a joy and a vibrancy um, so that other people who are under waves and are in the middle of water spouts, they can see what they're supposed to do. That's what we're doing tonight. Looking at David. I mean, I didn't come up with this. None of us here came up with this. God gave us this. David came here and he recognized this. So when you and I respond like David does, when God sends water spouts and waves our way, and any person, any normal human being would have tears night and day and be despondent and be tempted to abandon God and quit Jesus and quit God's word, but we don't, then other people, maybe our kids, maybe our grandkids, maybe our brothers and sisters, maybe our church family, maybe a generation that's two down from us, they look at us and they go, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what I'm supposed to do when this happens. The health of our countenance is very important. It reflects a faith in God. We see this in, in two other places in Scripture. Moses, and um, we won't take time to turn there, but Exodus uh, chapter 34, Moses goes up, gets the Ten Commandments a um, uh, second time, and brings them down, and um, he's giving them to the people, and the people are a little unnerved. They really don't want to talk to Moses because Moses' face is glowing. <laughs> 
Because he's been with God up on the mountain, and not face to face, but in God's presence enough where Moses' face was glowing. And the people are like, really appreciate all this information you're giving us. We want to know what God wants, but you're going to have to do something about that because we can't listen to you. He actually veiled his face so that they would listen. He put a veil on there and take it off. And like, no, put it, put it back down. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and he says that's what we're like. That's what we're to be like that we should have an unveiled face. And when people see us, they should see Jesus in us. They should see a reflection of, of Christ in us. So where do we get Christ in this? Well, that's the interesting part here, as in this is cool. I think it's cool. I hope you're going to think it's cool. All right, verse 5 and verse 11, when it says help, right? I will yet praise him for the help of uh, his countenance. And in verse 11 and here in the King James one it says, I will yet praise him for the health of my countenance. Help and health have one, there's only one word in the Hebrew. And guess what it is? Yeshua. Guess what Yeshua is? Hebrew for Jesus. I mean, it's literally Jesus' name. Uh, Jesus is a Greek form, but it's Yeshua. So, I mean, he's saying, I will yet praise him for the Jesus of his countenance literally means salvation, but that's what Yeshua means. That's, that was Jesus' name. I will yet praise him for the salvation of his countenance, the salvation that comes from his presence. Or down here in verse 11, I will yet praise him for the salvation of my countenance. So again, we could say, we could just put Jesus in there. Jesus is everywhere from Genesis to Revelation. He's even right here in this situation of when, how are we supposed to? We realize God's presence. Who do, how do you and I realize that all this stuff about God's presence is true? Jesus, we do. The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ that's in you, that's how you actually experience God's presence. So that's what Paul's saying there in 2 Corinthians 3. He's like, you should be reflecting Jesus to others. Honestly, sometimes it might make them a little unnerved, a little disturbed. It's okay, it's a good disturbed for them to see Jesus in you. It's actually what um, Peter and John, do you remember when they were going out right after um, Pentecost and they were witnessing and the religious leaders said, knock it off. And they said, can't, got to do what Jesus said. And they put him in jail one night and then they brought him before the big court and they said, hey you, we told you to knock it off, you Galilean fishermen. And they said, can't. And they were shocked by their boldness. That's what it says in Acts. It says, um, they were, they were, Acts 3.13, they were shocked. The religious leaders were shocked by their boldness, and they knew they had been with Jesus. They knew that they had been with Jesus. Do people know that about you? Can they look at you? Can they see your countenance? Even when you're going under waves, even when you're uh, being afflicted by water spouts, can they see Jesus in you and see your single-minded focus, your fervor for Christ? We're going to uh, have the praise team come up here, and we'll sing two more songs. Um, where's your fervor and focus? I mean, what are you passionate for about? What are you looking at like David? What are you longing for like David says, like that's dear? Because we're all longing for something. We're all looking for something. Um, is it God's presence? And you're like, I'd like to, Jason, but I'm in the middle of water spouts and waves. He's there. He's right there. Um, will you say it is well anyway? Will you say, man, I'm tired of the back and forth. It's exhausting. So, so stop. Go forward in faith tonight. Let's sing uh, as we sing these two.